This is Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. And this is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. Hey, everybody. This is H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. And hey, everybody. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, guys, I'm so excited. Today, we have a Shingo award-winning author, Mike Martin, and Mike's going to be talking about his new book, Management for Omotenashi. And we're going to learn more about what Omotenashi is, but we are so excited to hear from Mike. Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your background, if you would. Well, great. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, super excited to be here. I'm actually based in Portland, Oregon, and I have a consulting company, Sisu Consulting Group. My background is actually years ago now. It's I probably shouldn't even say it's my background. You know, I'm getting old. Uh, was turning companies around. I would go in and, and for privately held groups, family groups, kind of help them get back on their feet and help them really establish strength again in their operations and in their people. And, you know, one of the things that we really had to focus on a lot was how you engage people in a change process, how you get them aligned and excited about the work that they're going to do. And that really led to me working with companies with that focus. You know, how do we take management systems, you know, that I think you and your audience are probably familiar with, or, you know, how do we take the way that we lead and the way that we get results and do it in a way that we are working with people, that they're really helping to drive us and to help the organization move to where we want to get to. That's been about 20 years now. I've uh, been really blessed, really fortunate to work with organizations all over the world. And um, I'm just excited to be here and and curious what is going to be most valuable to talk about for, you know, for your audience, for your listeners and for you guys. Well, Mike, once again, thank you for being here. Uh, and I know it's you're a couple hours behind us. So thank you for getting up early for for this uh, podcast. First question is SISU Consulting. Is SISU, is it an acronym or is it, tell us about uh, that a little bit. All right. Great question. So SISU is a Finnish word and it kind of doesn't have a direct translation, but it means grit, perseverance. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes I heard it said, you know, you're hanging on to a rope for dear life and you're just about to give up and you can't hold on any longer and you hold on five more hours. You know, you just find a way to get through and the last uh, company I was turning around, one of the founders and the board members didn't really like to meet on site. He wanted his update uh, at McDonald's with his wife. You know, they like to share breakfast and they want an update on the company. And his name was Milo and her name was Sarah. And they were just great people. And I was getting ready to kind of stop doing turnarounds. You know, we wanted to have a family and that 18 hours a day, seven days a week is pretty intense. And we were sitting there and she mentioned the word and I had never heard it. And she was of Finnish descent. And, and the more she talked about it, the more she said, I, I said, you know, I really resonate with that. I love that, that concept. And then everybody told me why it was the dumbest idea to name your company because <laughs> they'll never know what it means. And they're completely right. No, you know, but I, occasionally I do get somebody who'll come up. And well, say, it's a conversation starter. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where it came from. OK, well, great. Uh my next question is, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and, and you said that you, you were in private equity. And, and as you mentioned, you would mm -hmm. you help companies turn around. You know, and the first thing I thought was. 
you know, when I think about private equity and somebody coming in and turning a company around, I I, I don't. The, the last thing I think about is going into a company and and looking for, you know, uh, principle based behavior or saying, hey, you guys yeah. need principle based behavior. Most of the time, it's hey, you need to cut this, fire this person, do this or that. That's right. W- w- had that always been the case? with your work or did you, it said that you kind of got introduced to the Toyota production system during that time. T- tell us a little bit about That's that. Right. Yeah. So I would say, you know, in my, in my terms, I would say there's kind of more workout guys and maybe, you know, turn around or restoring health. And there are people who came in and it was all about balance sheet. You know, we need to cut and we're going to cut deep. And a lot of times my opinion was is that the the organization wasn't healthier for that maybe short term you know they're surviving but they're not really potentially the body's not healthy you know at that point so i worked really with privately held typically family oriented where that first generation you know the founders they had sold they were out and maybe the company was struggling a little bit but everybody involved you know they had family members there they had friends there and we all really wanted to see it um continued. So my work typically was, yes, help them financially get back on track. You know, we had to do that. I mean, if an organization, you know, what's that? No margin, no mission. If we can't survive, we're not going to be there. But then we were always developing people, those next level of leaders, you know, the people that, hey, I'm going to step back and we really want you to be successful stepping forward. Now, my the connection, you know, just with, uh, you know, getting mentored and, and having an opportunity to interact with the Toyota production system mostly became just from me being in over my head. You know, I got into a manufacturing group and I like, I mean, I was like, uh oh, I'm in trouble. I don't know if I can do this and I'm going to need some help. And, you know, I was casting a net out there and I got involved with a guy. Uh, check, check. Really I, I've never experienced with- that. Have you? I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 I'm probably still in over my head most days. But, you know, it was from that, from me just seeking to humbly say, like, I need some help here, where I got introduced to people who were gracious enough to say, you know, and, and a group that would say, if you'll show us what you're doing with a turnaround, we're interested to know that we'll help you understand some of these foundational elements and principles relative to building in quality, flow, you know, some things that we really, um, you know, we needed to establish. But I would say aligning people and trying to get them excited as to our purpose and what we're really here to do, that's always been something that I've found is really critical to change or being successful with it, even if we're not totally great on the technique and the tactics of it. That That's great, Mike. Um, I think that segues nicely into you know, your book. And, and I want to talk about management for Omo Tanashi. But first, I want to say I, I admire your samurai swords in the background. I, I have been to Japan and have a similar set at my house, but I had to put them away because my five-year-old tried to stab his brother with them. But um, I think <laughs> okay. we're past that now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Safety first. I mean, that's, exactly. You know, yeah. that's, that's a principle for sure. But so let's talk about your book. Um, you know, and yeah. I'm not familiar with the term. So can you just tell us, first of all, what is Omo Tanashi? Yeah, you bet. So I also uh, started going to Japan 
probably about 19 or 20 years ago. We're actually in my dojo. My office is, I have a dojo here. And so out to, out, out to this side is the practice area. This is kind of a, an area. So as you walk around, you'll kind of, you would see references to it, you know, to kind of my, my connection over the years, just to the culture, my learnings. And, and as part of a trip, I was organizing, I've organized trips over there for executives and for groups. And on one of them, I was actually uh, co-hosting with Shingo. And I met a gentleman, uh, Yabe, and he was the uh, Yabe-san, and he was the former chairman of Kese. And, you know, he's talking about his approach and he's blending in this great story of his turnaround for an organization that was service-based, that morale was really, really struggling. And, you know, these are people that didn't feel great about themselves. And, you know, he wanted to instill pride and, and really have them understand you you really have value. You're important. And what you do really matters, you know, to creating what he called a motanashi for our customers. And it's this Japanese concept that most literally is translated into hospitality. Okay. It's mm. like this, this great service. But as you kind of peel back the onion a little bit, you realize that, as I'm sure you know, with a lot of concepts in Japan, they're not just one word or one definition, but there's almost this, these layers of meaning to them. And so the more that we had this conversation, I got to know them, the more we talked about a motanashi being this amazing experience, you know, this idea that we have this feeling created by this intersection or this connection between our environment, the host, and the guest, okay? And that all three, all three are required to have what we would call this amazing, you know, over-the-top experience of service and hospitality. And, and so I started talking to him about this idea that, you know, I really feel there is a correlation between maybe what we see in great leaders or what we try to aspire as leaders if we think about it in terms of our environment being not only our physical environment, you know, the clinical environment, the hospital environment, wherever we are, but the environment we create with a management system, with how we seek to engage people in continuous improvement and getting great results and creating value you know, for our patients, our customers, and our people. I said, so if that's our environment, then how do we look at this relationship between the host, a leader, or a manager, and the guest, a team member? You know, and how, if we can come together and do that, what we see is just this, this opportunity for every person in the organization to look at work in a different way to view work as a great experience. And that's been my challenge to most groups. Like, is it even possible for people to get up in the morning and their purpose and reason for getting up is work, is coming to work, not coming to work so they get to do something else. And then how might that thought change the way we need to approach the way we run a huddle, the way we problem solve together, how we set and cascade goals. If we could literally just look at it from those terms, how might that change the way we think about our role as leaders? So that that's really where the concept um, came from. And, you know, I, I, I wrote about it for a while before COVID, and then I kind of put it down for over a year and thought, you know, I might just be losing it. I mean, maybe they finally say, you know, after 10 years, Martin's gone. I mean, he's like, I wouldn't even know what he's talking about anymore. But what's been really fascinating is the number of organizations who've resonated with the people side of it. 
this idea that we we want to attract great people. We want people that align to a purpose. You know, turnover is a big deal. And, and, you know, this rising quiet quitting and, you know, lowering of engagement scores. And I've been really kind of pleasantly surprised at how many people have been asking more about that. Like, can we use these concepts to really strengthen the people side of what we do? So, yeah, you, go, go ahead, Jake. Sure. Um, you know, you, you said earlier on that that you uh, you helped plan executive trips to to Japan and, and Skip texted both HF and us uh, and me that uh, we need to do that in the near future. So I just want to go on record saying, yeah, yeah yep, you're going to help yeah. us plan we're, that we're, pretty th- soon. This is, <laughs> this is in the archives now, so we can we can pull that up, Skip, and, and hold you. I to had it. no idea, Skip, I was helping you there. I had no <laughs> Skip's not paying me. I just want everybody to know. I had no idea I was going to get called out on the podcast, but going to Japan was life changing for me. So keep, let's keep moving forward, Dr. Lancaster. <laughs> right, right. Back, Mike, back to you, your... you mentioned you mentioned, you know, engagement and, and you know, obviously yeah. we know that engaged team members, engaged employees, engaged physicians, uh, you know, even engaged um, C-suite members are, are better employees but but you know you you use the term i i may butcher it it's called ikigai is that right ikigai or yes yes ikigai and you know you said that the the meaning for that is kind of the reason for being and you talk about how important it is to help help the team member you know realize what how he is connected to the organization and what his purpose is. Talk to us a little bit about that. And 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 how do you? What are some of the tactics and, and strategies that you use to to create uh, that ikigai in in a team member? Wow, you picked the easy questions. All right, I love it. Great question. Um, you know, I did touch upon the 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 principle and kind of the concept of ikigai in the book. And I, I want to say right up front, no, by no means an expert on it. Again, it's this rich, deep topic that you know people have been exploring for years. And, and as I learned about it, you know, it's been quite interesting. But, you know, it started at, the, at this, you know, what is really this source of intrinsic motivation? What is the thing that I start to help define myself in terms of what inspires me, what I'm passionate about, you know, what I'm really connected to? And so as we thought about, or as I, as I was thinking about this concept of how does that really play out and work? You know, in the book, what I really try to make the case for is that, you know, we talk about an organization getting strong as an organization through, through continuous improvement, right, through problem solving, through each and every year, you know, trying to raise the bar, let's say, you know, on, on what we do and how we do it. But on the other side, you know, the other side of it, if we really think about what engages people, you know, it's about finding meaning and what I do. It's about knowing that I'm valued. It's about having a contribution and making a contribution to something larger than myself. Well, you know, as we as we dissect that and take it apart, we see that really having an opportunity each and every day to see something, say something, and do something about it through continuous improvement becomes my primary mechanism for establishing that value, you know, for looking at my work as my opportunity to contribute. So, 
you know, there, there was this this very um, maybe not thought of, but but unbelievably powerful side of why this concept of daily Kaizen, you know, not just big projects of improvement, but how I could engage each and every day, what that does to inspire and engage people. And then the other side of it that I'm really working with a number of groups on is how have we really established and cascaded our purpose in general? You know, are, are people inspired by the why of what we do, you know, and, and are they inspired and do they have a why relative to continuous improvement that engages them? I think sometimes it's easier to have a why, like we literally save patients' lives. You know, I think that that sometimes can can be taken for granted, you know, or maybe like it's there. But I find that a lot of times maybe team members have not also seen the why behind the, the, the activities we do for improvement. You know, the why behind the management system, you know, why do we come together as teams and really, you know, push ourselves to create a gap and then close that gap through collaborating with with each other? So that those were two of the things that I really tried to draw out in the book that were so critical to firing people up, aligning their activities, and really having them come in each and every day excited about the challenges that they get to be a part of. That's, yeah, you, that's really, go ahead, Jake. That was really great. And you talked earlier about Omotenashi and creating that supportive environment, you know, hospitality um, that management can do for their employees. And HF is very used to this as a surgeon. You know, he got special sutures that were even at an increased cost to the organization. Um, and you if know, you're the squeaky wheel, yeah, the squeaky yeah. wheel always gets the oil. <laughs> yeah, they say. You know, he's uh, their surgeons are treated, you know, very well by, by organizations. But what, what, a, <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> how can a healthcare system, an employer, um, create a similar environment for its its nurses, you know, its its you know poor internal mm. medicine docs and, and others. Wow, that's a really good. That's a so okay, right? That's right. So how can we make them prima donnas like surgeons? Oh, that's an interesting question. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that one. Um, no, in all in all seriousness. I really feel like there's a great opportunity and I won't just say, you know, like in healthcare or something. I mean, just in organizations in general to look at those points that we are asking them to engage in, whether it's, you know, how they're doing their work, you know, critical work processes and how they engage with patients and each other, or whether it's in those mechanisms, you know, those systems we've put in place that are trying to, you know, make improvement at the heart of what we do, you know, those huddles or, you know, follow up with their problem solving or just even things like, you know, how they're going to ensure that the systems and the processes we're using are really working for us. And we have those moments where we get an opportunity to have people experience that this is a system and a process that is being done to them, or these are great results that being are being generated through them. And so, for example, just a very, very simple example, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners and stuff have participated in a huddle. Okay. And, and, you know, when you go into an organization and you talk huddles, you know, you might get that initial like check. Got it. We already do it. Check off the box. What else you got, Martin? You know, what else you got for me? Because we already do huddles. But I would not say that all huddles are created equal. You know, I'm just I'm just going to go out on a limb and say some of them are not the best 10 minutes of someone's day. 
you know, and I think it's fair to say the way that we operate in them, like I was in one and literally personal, you know, like it was all individual metrics behind them on the wall, right? It's all red or green when you show up and there, and how, you know, it's your turn to def- your, your time to defend yourself is literally a team lead pointing a finger at you, leaving the finger pointed at you until you had a good enough justification for why you were red and what you were going to do about it. And I'm telling you, you know, if you read the body language, you got certain people hiding around the corners, other people that are physically putting chairs in between them. And, you know, and you're looking at it thinking, hey, listen, if you're trying to create an environment where people want to own their results, and when people want to really come together and do great work, the first thing is quit giving them the finger. Let's just put that right there. That's not a great experience versus another huddle where you might be in it and you really don't know who the leader is. You've got this amazing structure to the participation. You've got rotating roles. You've got this unbelievable power where you're looking at it thinking, wow, this entire team owns this 10 minutes and they are more fired up and excited about what they get to do today when they leave that than when they came. So, you know, oftentimes creating a motanashi is not these massive things we do as much as we look at those elements of what we're doing now and ask ourselves, what is the experience? You know, is this an experience that reinforces a culture of engaged people that are lining around common problems to solve them every day? Or is this a culture of um, I am doing this because I'm expected to do it? I'm doing this because I will do my job, but that's different than I'm owning it, that I'm really excited about it. You know, and that's usually where there's opportunities that we can even get team members to help us make that experience and that performance even better. Yeah, you. I read a, a phrase that you know I don't know it's it it was on your book site. Um, you know, improving the work is the work, and you know that's that's the right. secret sauce is how do we get to a point where I mean, wouldn't it be great if you know as a hospital system, a team member would say, oh yeah, you know my job is to get better every day and. Oh, also, we I take care of patients. I provide excellent care for patients. Yep. I mean, what? And I think that's what not only us, but but a lot of health organizations and, and as a matter of fact, you know, uh, any kind of organization is getting those frontline people who they're the closest to the work. They're the ones who right. know. Uh, but but getting them engaged and getting them because getting their ideas that that's that's what um, that's what we struggle with. And, and I just want your thoughts on how, how do we how do we improve that? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, that's a that's a big topic and there's a lot of things that, you know, that people can try to do relative to their own situation. Right. Relative sure. to what they're seeing in their environment and some of the opportunities they want to grab. It's all in context. But I think. Sure. In, yeah. And, and I think in general, as simple as this may sound. It's this idea that do I really believe that creating the environment is is about improving the work is the work. I mean, that was a phrase I brought out and own the gap 10 years ago, you know, but even just adopting that mindset and saying that the culture that is going to be engaging, empowering and going to provide us the best performance over time is a team based daily Kaizen culture. It is. Helping people be part of a team that each and every day 
identifies opportunities, gets to grab hold of those opportunities, and gets to be a part of seeing their voice, their input, and their ideas put into action. Just adopting that as part of the philosophy that we have when we look at the way we're going about building the culture can do a ton to give us feedback as we go around and say, you know, I just attended this session. I just was in this meeting. I just watched this problem solving and I'm asking myself the question, how close was that to to being a team based daily Kaizen? culture. You know, how close was I to that? Because if I'm somewhere off center to that, I have an opportunity to look at that and say, people are going to be most engaged when they can see that they're making incremental progress toward meaningful outcomes. That is when they're most engaged. So the idea that I've got to have systems in place that allow them to see something, say something, and do something about it every day, that's a critical one. The second is I've really got to ensure that we're aligned and and helping everybody embrace that bigger why. You know, if if um, if in my experience, if the why behind improvement activities is because you're red and you're supposed to be green, I wouldn't say that's the most passionate approach to it. I wouldn't say that's what gets up everybody in the morning. But if that why is connected to something we are doing as a team to improve every day, to make lives better, to improve lives, you know, to improve your life, then addressing reds to be green become part of accomplishing that larger why. And I, I think that's also another area that people could look at and just at least ask themselves that question. Um, Shingo has a book about uh, system design. And I, I don't know if you've mm -hmm. read it, but it, it's a it's a really good book. And they talk about uh, mm -hmm. different different tools that that any system needs to have, you know, you have to have an aim and then you need to have these tools. And one of those tools is an improvement log, you know, and they talk about tactics, you know, okay. Some of the, the key behavior indicators is, all right, we want every, every team member to provide one improvement idea a month, a month in, in your experience, sure. when, 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 when you were, requiring or, or I say requiring or, or mandating that that a team member produce at least one improvement idea a month in, in your experience is that helpful ah uh, wow great question uh yes if it's done in the right way so for example you know most every client that I have we are putting out there some expectation for ideas yes we are, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, whether or not we're getting any is an indicator of the environment that we're creating. But here's the thing. If it becomes the stick that says you didn't give your idea today, what's going on, then it goes wrong. It is a management metric. It is really just our indicator to say, if we have brought together the environment, the host, and the team member, if we've created a motanashi, if we've created an experience and an opportunity for people to make their lives better through the management system, I'm telling you over the, over the last 15 years, we will get ideas, actually more than we can handle, quite frankly. And so if we're not getting them, something's wrong. You know, is it because somebody got shut down and set a tone on a team? Is it because the team doesn't really know how to collaborate with each other? You know what I mean? And when some, there's a risk, to bringing something up? Is it not okay to say we have a problem and we need to do something about it? Or 
have, did I bring up three ideas before, but they went through some committee. I'm not sure who has it right now. I'm not even sure if somebody that's smarter than me thinks it's a good idea, but it's my job and I see it every single day. So those would be all things that I think are our opportunity to look at the system and say, hey, if that system is designed to put them into a position to succeed, we're going to see ideas. Mm. But definitely tracking them, getting them documented. There's, We could do a whole other podcast about the importance of what an idea system does for their development, your ability to share and leverage improvements, you know, what it does in terms of people's pride in their contribution and in the organization. But you've asked a really, really critical question. So, you know, I know I'm about to get the time out, but I think number one is, you know, we do, we do need to document them down. We need to track it and we need to establish a goal for ourselves. But I think we need to put it into the context of what is that goal really saying? If we're not getting the ideas, I think we need to own it as leaders and say, okay, something's off in the environment because people don't want to come to work and work in a bad process and do a bad job. That's just not my experience. But something right now is maybe keeping them, putting them into a position where the flow of ideas is not happening. Mike, you did. I know. I know we're just about done, but you did just secure a, another invitation because when you when you mentioned, you know, system design and and Skip, we were talking about, uh, you know, the the improvement log part of a tool of of a system, and so yeah, that 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 would be another another topic for a great discussion. Uh, hey, I agree, Dr. Mason. I already put a pin in it. Once he said he'd love to come back and be have a whole nother conversation. <laughs> Uh, I've already got that written down. Uh, Mike, uh, I, I know I'd that you had to get up early. I really appreciate it. You know, I really appreciate you putting the work in to, to think about these uh, things, to, to work through your thinking. And, you know, a friend of mine likes to always say, also out there from the West Coast, that ink makes you think. And so uh, mm. I'm just so, uh, so thankful for the work that you do. So thankful as a Shingo examiner and a Shingo faculty fellow. So, so thankful for your involvement with the Shingo Institute and, and the really great, great work you do. And so on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you so much for coming on Connecting the Dots podcast. And we will look forward to you coming back in the very near future uh, to talk some All more right. maybe about idea systems. Thank you so much, Mike. You got it. I really appreciate it too. I can't thank you enough um, for having me on and, and having a conversational tone and just bantering back and forth and letting me talk. Sometimes shutting me up is the hardest part of the talk. So I really no, appreciate it. It was great, it, Mike. Thank you.